Welcome to the official podcast of the Hoffeld Group. Your host is the CEO and Chief Sales Trainer of the Hoffeld Group, David Hoffeld. Welcome to the Science of Selling podcast, the place where you get actionable sales insights that are backed by hard science. I am David Hoffeld, and joining me, as always, is Carl Polson. And Carl, I have an interesting question for you mm. as we start this podcast, and that is this. What did you want to be when you were growing up? You're in sales now, but when you look back as a kid, what were your dreams? What kind of career did you envision for yourself back then? That is a great question. Uh, great to be chatting with you today. When I was growing up, I wanted to be the next John Elway. So I didn't want to just be a, a quarterback. I wanted to only be a quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Um, for some reason, had this fascination with, with John Elway. So growing up, I wanted to be either a football player um, or a business owner, specifically of a Cinnabon, because I love the smell. So I, mine's kind of twofold. <laughs> How about yourself? What, what did you want to be growing up, David? That's I love the specifically of a Cinnabon comment. That's um, that's awesome. <laughs> it was only Cinnabon. It wasn't like you know a uh, successful. It was just a Cinnabon. Um, oh, that's funny. Maybe that's, that's still in the cards. Who knows? That's one of the best answers I've ever heard to that question. I want to own a Cinnabon. <laughs> oh, I can just see a young Carl saying that's funny. Um, yeah. Okay. So for me, yeah, I was I wanted to be only one thing. My entire childhood, even until I didn't give up on this until I was a junior in high school, that was I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was what I literally, um, I kind of have when I go into something, I go all in or I don't do it at all. I'm not very good at moderation. And uh, that was reflected throughout my entire life. Even as a young uh, kid, I would think and read and play baseball all year round, even I, I lived in uh, Minnesota as a teenager, and I remember I would uh, get up early in the morning before school, and I'd, I bought this really cheap heater uh, at a garage sale for like $20, and I would turn it on in the morning in uh, my parents' garage as a 14, 15-year-old kid, and then I would go to school, I'd come home, and then I would, um, my garage would often be warm enough in a Minnesota winter where I could, I could hold a bat and my hands wouldn't go numb. And then I would hit balls off the tee for a couple hours, wiffle balls. And oh. I was always focused on baseball. It wasn't until I was a junior in high school that I realized, okay, I'm not good enough to get into the major leagues. I was scouted, but wasn't good enough. And I realized that. And then I turned my uh, attention elsewhere. But that was it. Growing up, I was going to be a professional baseball player. Um, that was my dream. It didn't happen. But you know what? I fell into this thing called sales training. And it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, I think that's an understatement. I could, you definitely, I could definitely see you being a professional baseball player. Um, and, and I know today's episode, I've been really, really excited about about recording because it covers one of those topics that I feel anyone, regardless of profession, whether it's owning a Cinnabon, uh, baseball, or sales specifically, practice. You know, and, and I guess specifically as it relates to sales, David. Why is practice important? Yeah, it really does matter. I think you and I were both talking about reflecting on our past dreams of football or or baseball. And of course, practice is a regular part of what you do when you play those. You practice 
uh, between games as part of what you do. But when we look at sales, a lot of times we know practice matters, but we often don't do it as, as much as we could or should be doing it. So why does practice matter? And there's some really good evidence for we have for why it matters. And it really comes back to our brains and what we know about how our brains, how do we get better at any skill like selling? And we have to literally train our brain to do that thing. So think of it like this. Uh, when you and I learn a new sales strategy, meaning cognitively, let's say you read a sales book like The Science of Selling, and you say, okay, this is a really neat way of asking questions or of doing something in the sale. Reading that book is great, and it's or listening to a podcast like this is great, and it's foundational, and that, that really stimulates primarily your neocortex in the brain, which is really a cognitive function. I, do I cognitively, do I understand this idea? But that doesn't create competency in executing the idea. It's a good analogy is if you train a child to ride a bike, you can explain to him or her in a matter of minutes, here's what a bike, here's where you sit, here's the handlebars, here's how you pedal. They go, got it. You can give them a quiz and they'll, they'll pass it. But you put them on the bike and you give them a push and they fall over. They just can't ride the bike. So cognitively, neocortex, they understand what to do, but their brain hasn't been trained to actually perform that behavior. Same thing is true for us in selling. Now, the part of our brain that we're going to leverage to learn how to execute a sales behavior is called the basal ganglia. The basal ganglia learns differently than the neocortex. The neocortex learns through comprehension, understanding, right? Like right now, as we're, we're, you're listening to me, hopefully your neocortex is stimulated and you're, you're getting these ideas. But being able to act on them is a little different part of the brain, the basal ganglia, and it learns much slower. And it learns not by understanding, it learns by doing, just like that child on the bike. How does he or she not fall over when riding the bike? You know, you have to use training wheels at first, then mom or dad or someone will stand next to them and hold the bike as they learn. Then eventually their brain learns how to balance the bike and then they can go off on their own. But they learn much slower. The basal ganglia learns much slower than the neocortex and it learns by doing. And that gives us an understanding of why does practice matter? Because sales, it's not about just passing a test on you know, different strategies, but it's really about executing them, taking that knowledge and making it a skill. And that requires that we practice. So listening to a podcast or reading a sales book is great, but it's not enough. That's the foundation. Now we have to practice. We have to try to perform that activity. And through that practice, we take that knowledge and we make it a skill. And in selling, that's what matters. Not what do you know, but what can you do based on what you know? That's what takes someone to a whole nother level in their sales abilities and their results. And, and David, you, I have, was fortunate and am fortunate enough to, to work with you. And you really instilled in me the importance of it's great to, to memorize, you know, all your sales scripts and really learn, you know, sales processes. but at some point, you have to start applying that because it's really 
Um, like you said, if you really want to learn how to execute on it, which most salespeople want to execute on what they're learning, um, you got to kind of do it at the same time. And I think it leads to a great follow-up question, which I'm really excited to ask you. Um, how do we practice the right way in sales? Yeah, that's an important question because all practice certainly isn't equal. And the good news here is we don't have to guess because there is a wealth of science that we can look at. I mean, decades of studies that we can look at that says, how do we practice in a way to improve performance? So it's really tactical. And what we found, what the researchers have found over the number of years is there's a certain type of practice that is superior to others. And the researchers call it deliberate practice. Um, deliberate practice, I'll, I'll describe it by one of the, one of the foundational studies in this area. Uh, I cite it in my book, The Science of Selling, because it was so impactful. And it, it kind of explains the kind of practice we're talking about. Uh, Kay Anders Arison, he is one of the leading researchers in this area, has been, uh, for a number of decades now. One of his earlier, earliest studies, he took a regular college student, regular in cognitive ability, uh, ability to, you know, IQ, memorization ability, just normal behaviors there. And he took this regular college student and he asked a question. He said, how much can we improve this person's memory by? Couldn't we double it? Could we triple it? I mean, that would be amazing if we could. So the average person can memorize uh, as a base point here around six digits. And they took this college student and they put him through deliberate practice. So what they would do is they would read him a sequence of numbers. And they did this a couple times a week, three to four times a week, over two years. So they meet and they would read him a sequence of numbers. Um, and they would say, okay, say those back to us. And if he could say them back, they would give him a new sequence of numbers and would add an, an extra digit. So if he could say back to them six numbers in a row, they would give him next time seven numbers. And they just did this grueling, see how far they could push him. And if he couldn't perform, they would take one number off and give him a brand new sequence of numbers. What's really amazing is by the end of that two years, again, the average person can remember right around seven numbers um, in a sequence consistently. Uh, this regular college student was able to remember 82 random numbers in a row. And that's a big deal. If I want, I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you by reading 82 numbers uh, to you. But if I did, it would take a little bit. That's a lot of numbers. And this college student was able to do that. But what they did, the reason he was able to do these amazing results was they, they did something incredibly powerful. That kind of practice, deliberate practice. So if you think about what did they put him through? Well, they pushed mm. him constantly. If you can remember 10 numbers, great. We're going to give you uh, 11 brand new numbers. If you can do that, we'll go on to 12. If you can't, we go back to 11. If you can do that, we go to 12. If we can do that, you go. This grueling, it's never good enough trying to constantly raise the bar. And that is what great practice looks like. Great practice is where you push yourself to improve. And this is a major thing of good practice. It involves failure. It's hard. It's not always fun. That's what a lot of elite athletes do and elite performers in any profession. 
they do this kind of practice and it's not enjoyable because you're always, you're pushing yourself, you're failing, you're adapting, you're trying again, and you keep raising the standard. And it's that kind of practice that has been proven over and over and over again by hard scientific data to radically improve performance. So if you want to go to a whole other level in your ability to sell, this is how you do it. You get good information, good training, and then you push yourself in practice. You try to, in other words, if however good you are at, let's say, answering objections or presenting, you want to, how do I get a little bit better? And then when you get better, how do I get a little bit better? Right? It's that constant pushing yourself. And when you do that, uh, our brains respond amazingly well to this. When you do that, you will get better. Just like an average college student can go from seven digits, they can memorize consistently to 82 random numbers. And the researchers, uh, I'll end with this, uh, said it's really interesting. They stopped after two years. They wrote in their study, they never thought they could get beyond even like 20 digits. They thought like that was probably as far as they could go when they started. They got to 82 and they said, if we would have kept going, we're confident we could have even got beyond that. It's just we stopped the study after two years. They just let this guy, uh, let him get on with his life. <laughs> let him uh, graduate. Yeah, let him graduate and get on and, and, and get a job and, and uh, get off with, get on with his life. But what's really interesting is they said there's really no limit. They were amazed by this. They go, we could have, we thought we couldn't get past 20. Like if, I mean, that would be elite performance. He got to 82 consistently, not one time, consistently. Random numbers being able to recite it back. So when you push yourself, and I know you've done this, Carl. I've done it. Maybe many of our listeners have. You can go beyond what you believe is your ceiling. And that's what the practice that really works is you push yourself hard. And then later on, you reap the results in improved performance. You know, it's, it's really interesting when you say that because it makes me think about most of our podcast episodes to, to date, uh, whether it's, you know, practicing cold calling in the middle of a mall to random people, or even I remember, uh, I, I've also read the book, uh, on deliberate practice mentioning, um, with our former careers as, as athletes, um, I believe they really liked taking people into these studies that were either singers, performers, athletes, people that just had that drive. It does translate really, really, really well to sales. And I guess one question I did have, because I know I joined a new company, MongoDB, recently. And one thing I've been working on is making sure that I'm not just practicing the material, but really learning it. Uh, you know, and, and I think one thing I wanted you to shed light on for our listeners is, David, what's the difference between reinforcement versus practice? Yeah, because that's a really good question because reinforcement is something that's really commonly talked about in sales. Some selling methodologies, some of the older ones have it as a main piece. So the difference really is, uh, there's a big one, for improved performance, you want practice. You want deliberate practice. The science on this is unbelievably clear um, and the difference it makes. Reinforcement is uh, reviewing 
uh, existing skills, reviewing where you're at. So it's, you know, the material, you want to quick do a review um, of that, which there's nothing wrong with that. Is that going to improve your performance, take you to the next level? No, it's, you're just reminding yourself of what you already know. Practice, deliberate practice is designed to significantly and noticeably help you get better, not just get more comfortable in what you already know, but to learn more, to be able to do more. And so that's the big difference between reinforcement and practice. Reinforcement is great if you're like, okay, I just want to review this so I feel more confident in it and it's fresh in my mind. Great. But if you want to go to a whole nother level in selling, if you want to improve your performance, reinforcement is not for you. You want deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. You want to get into that because the, the evidence is really conclusive here. There is no debate um, in science. And that is reinforcement is good for reviewing and getting a little more confident in what you already know. Deliberate practice will help you improve and get to a whole nother level of knowledge and skill. So I would encourage you do both, right? Review the things that you've learned, keep them fresh in your mind, give you that confidence, but then push yourself, practice and, and uh, get to that next level. And that's what deliberate practice will do. And for a great example of this, and David, this has been an, another incredible episode, but uh, we have our first uh, signed book that we'll be giving away today to, to an individual named Paxton Duff, who is not only a colleague of mine, but today emailed me, um, I think kind of sums up the de- deliberate practice and practice in general, uh, has actually taken very detailed notes on each one of our podcast episodes from dealing with rejection, reflecting and flushing to optimists, you know, selling 20 to 40% more than pessimists, pessimists do to uh, cold call reluctance. And that's really, you know, when I was thinking about that, even writing out that email that he, that he sent me, um, that's a way where he's really putting what he's learning, um, you know, into action, writing it out, doing something to take it to that next level. And I know he's one of the most successful salespeople in the organization that I'm with. Um, and it's not surprising after, after looking at that. So David, as always, um, talking with you is, is always, I'm going to use the word today, inspirational, because it gives me the motivation and the skills I need to succeed. And I know our listeners feel the same way. So until next time, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay warm, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Carl. 